In this episode, we take on the topic of online translators. You'll walk away from this discussion with Berta Delgadillo better equipped to deal with this present reality. So let's jump in. Are you a language teacher looking for some reassurance that what you're doing in the classroom is on the right track? Or maybe you're looking for some ways to teach even more effectively. If you're one or the other or somewhere in between, you've landed in the right place. This is the World Language Classroom Podcast with your host, me, Joshua Cabral. You're about to get tips, tools, and resources so that your students continue to rise in proficiency and communicate with confidence. Let's jump in. Vamos, allons-y. Hello, my friends. Bonjour, mes amis. Hola, mis amigos. Welcome to the World Language Classroom Podcast. I'm Joshua Cabral, and I am so happy that you are here, and I am grateful for your continued support and listening to the podcast. Before we jump into this really important topic, I want you to look down at your phone real quickly and make sure that you are liking, following, subscribing, whatever that app is asking you to do to make sure that you get all of these episodes. So now here we go. Teachers are talking about online translators. What do we do about this? I'm joined today by Berta Delgadillo, who is going to share with us her insights and understandings of using online translators with students, or not necessarily using them with students, but helping them to understand when they can use them, if they should be using them. So many questions. So luckily, we have Berta here today who's going to help us understand and grapple with all of this. So Berta is a high school Spanish teacher in Savannah, Georgia. And if you are in the Twitter world or the Instagram world or on Facebook or in groups, you've likely seen her name. And she's also always at a conference, whether they are virtual or in person, uh, like at SCOLT and FLAG, which is the Georgia Association, Comprehended, IFLT, you name it, she's been there. So I would like to take this opportunity, Berta, to welcome you to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much, Joshua, for having me here uh, today at this podcast and to be able to share with our teachers about the usage of online translator in our classrooms. Mm -hmm. So I did my best to kind of give the quick story of Berta Delgadillo, but you can fill in the blanks a lot better, particularly when I see your name, I, I always see that it is connected to this idea of acquisition-driven instruction. So could you just bring us all on board what that means? <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. So many years ago, uh, I, when I was teaching for the first three years of my teaching career, I taught the way I was taught in high school because I was a student here in the United States high school. And I then became a teacher. So that's, that's how I learned uh, to teach a language. And that's what I brought to my classroom, the experience. Mm and then later on i realized that what i was doing really was not working so well for all of my learners it was working for a, a small percentage mm -hmm. and i decided to dive in into what you call acquisition driven instruction what we mm -hmm. call acquisition driven instruction mm -hmm. and basically is delivering uh, focusing on, on the students acquiring the language as opposed to just learning the language in mm -hmm. english because that's a lot of what i was doing initially in my career i was teaching mm -hmm. them the grammar 
in English. And that is actually teaching about the language and not actually teaching the language. When I was teaching that way, it was very hard for me to hit high percentages of staying in the target language with my mm -hmm. students. And when I switched to acquisition-driven instruction, which is delivering comprehensible messages, making sure that I stay in the target language as much as possible, enabling my students for success so that they could stay in the target language as much as possible, that, that is all part of acquisition-driven mm -hmm. instruction. And it's uh, beautiful because in teaching, uh, regardless of, of what we're using to teach, we are always working towards becoming better educators mm -hmm. and better at our craft. Uh, so with acquisition-driven instruction, I still have a long way to go, but I'm just very honored to be able to share with teachers uh, what I have known, uh, what I have come to learn mm -hmm. this far. I would like to point out that I particularly like the terminology that you use when you're talking about how you teach and how you go about it, because sometimes when teachers talk about their teaching, it's sort of, it's a best practice, try this, it'll work. But it's very clear by using the terminology of acquisition-driven instruction that it's based in science and research of what you're doing. It's not just mm -hmm. let me try it out. And that was the, the first time I think I came across your Facebook group and when I saw the title of it, I said, these are people that know the science of language learning. <laughs> you know, it's not just going to be, you know, try this out, it might work. And so uh, thank you for explaining that, because it was the thing that jumped out to me. I, I think, and, and, and you bring a great point, uh, because at the beginning of my, uh, of my journey, when I did not know uh, what acquisition-driven instruction was, when I started stepping into it, uh, I actually would go to conferences and I would try many of the activities without knowing the why. But when I got to know the why, that was a game changer for me because then I could recreate and sometimes even uh, make better an activity that I was already doing, tweaking it. When we understand the why behind mm -hmm. things, we are just going to create better learning mm -hmm. experiences for our learners. And make better decisions as well. Just calling it the why, it's it's a simple way of understanding it. It's just about the why. Because if you understand the why the activity is being done, you can then create other activities that are like it rather than only doing that activity because that's the only way you saw it. When you understand why, you can replicate it. That That is exactly right. Because also, on the contrary, when you try one of those activities that you maybe went to a conference and you learn about it and you're super excited because it seems amazing and it flops in the classroom, <laughs> you, as an educator, you end up feeling inadequate because I experienced that. Mm -hmm. That That's why I'm uh, talking about it right now because I experienced that. And I said, why, why did I do wrong? But that was before I knew the why. Once I learned the why, <laughs> then I could either change the activity or say, okay, this is not going to work because... This is not conducive to acquisition. Mm -hmm. And I have had to toss activities because they were not conducive to acquisition. So, Yeah. So let's jump in to this topic of the online translators and let's stick with this word why. <laughs> Since we're talking about the why, why do students use online translators? There are, there's more than one why. That's for sure. <laughs> there's more than one why. Uh, I remember I had this conversation uh, with my friend Claudia Elliott in my community, Transformation Through Acquisition Driven Instruction. 
And we were talking about, we asked teachers, why do you think? We already had our answers as to why we knew it. But it was just very interesting to see why teachers thought their students would use online translators. And these are the ones that kept being repeated and they match with what we had. So one of the reasons why students would go to use online translators is because or the text that they have to use or the task that they have to perform is they haven't really mastered it yet, or maybe the text is too complex for their level. Mm -hmm. And that, or they haven't had enough time to process and to, to output if we are actually leading them to output, mm -hmm. of, uh, do some output of some sort. Uh, that's why. And it's interesting because when I was teaching in my first three years of teaching, when I wasn't doing acquisition-driven instruction, I would go through my textbook and I would teach the vocabulary and I would teach the grammar and then we will do the quiz and then we will do the grammar quizzes and then we will do the um, writing and half of my texts were translated. Mm -hmm. And I would often ask myself, why? <laughs> why is this happening? Mm -hmm. Because I taught, I taught them everything they needed to know. Mm -hmm. And the reason why it was happening was because the students did not get enough input, enough practice, uh, enough of anything. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's one of the reasons why the task is way above their level and they haven't had enough uh, time with, with it. They haven't had enough time listening to repetitions of the target structures. Mm -hmm. Uh, and and that's why. So mm -hmm. when you're saying above their level, so it could be their proficiency level, but also yes. their their sort of comfort level with the vocabulary, the thematic vocabulary being used. So it kind of both there. Yes, yes, I, it, it can be with both. And the reason why it's important that you mention this, it's because we know all of the educators know that. I haven't had one class where all my kids have been in the same proficiency mm -hmm. level. I don't know about you. Mm -hmm. They're all over the place. I don't think that I'd love to see that unicorn somewhere. <laughs> yeah, me too. But yes, we have to take that into account. And because they're going to be at different levels, uh, they are going to, they're going to receive that task in a different way. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be more challenging for some than others. And that may lead students to do translating. Mm -hmm. Another reason why it's because we have student perfectionists. I actually want to share a story mm -hmm. uh, of when a student who was a really good student and always did his work ended up using an online translator mm -hmm. for an assignment. Mm -hmm. And this is just to tell you, to tell you that some students are perfectionists. They did not want to get a bad grade. Mm -hmm. He did not want when when he was asked why did you do this, he said, "Well, I did not have time. I had to work." He actually had legitimate reasons that I do believe because I know this student. Mm -hmm. uh, and he said, I, I just ran out of time and I thought it was the easiest thing to do. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I did not want to mess up my A. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes you have those special cases. Sometimes that person that did not do it, but one time, mm -hmm. uh, but it is important to, to have that conversation mm -hmm. with that student when that happens. Mm -hmm. And another reason why students use it is because of that, same kind of like with the same example it's free mm -hmm. it's easy to use mm -hmm. and it's super accessible mm -hmm. and i know this because before covid i remember that i saw one of my students one time she had a, an app that you literally just scan the text mm -hmm. and it translates everything mm -hmm. 
So <laughs> somebody thought that was a good idea to create and then it made all of our lives harder. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So I had to have a conversation with that student, with that other student once again mm -hmm. and address that. Yeah. And that's when I learned that such an app existed, which was a good, it was good <laughs> mm -hmm. that I caught her doing that mm -hmm. because I learned that such an app mm -hmm. existed. And in your experience, and I'm sure other teachers are having their experiences with the translators as well, do you find that students are using it mostly for translating written work or when they have to do a speaking assignment that they're using it to translate and then memorize and do the speaking from there? I would say that they would they probably use it more for the speaking or writing assignments. Mm -hmm. Uh, when they do use it. Mm -hmm. Not to say that they won't use it. It depends on the student and the ability mm -hmm. and their comfort level in the class that they're taking, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, because some students are only going to use it uh, maybe for, for those activities that where they have to speak and, like you said, memorize and then they can say mm -hmm. it. But it's all about how we, what, the, what are the conversations we're going to be having with our learners the first weeks of school? Mm -hmm. It is so important to talk to our learners about how acquiring a language is a lifelong journey. Mm -hmm. I'm still acquiring English. Mm -hmm. I'm still acquiring Spanish mm -hmm. and it's my first language. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I, I use myself in a, as an example with my learners as well. And it is important to honor that journey uh, so that they don't feel like, oh, I have to get it perfect. Mm -hmm. We have to establish that culture of error within our classroom mm -hmm. so that they feel free to take that risk mm -hmm. and actually create with what they own and take them, have them take that ownership of the language. Mm -hmm. So I would love to hear some strategies that you might have for helping students to be those risk takers in the classroom. Uh, absolutely. Uh, again, I really like to talk to my students about what it means to acquire a language mm -hmm. and what the expectations are for the class. And with having that conversation with the learners, then since I teach high schoolers, mm -hmm. it really make, brings it to life for them. So I really find it useful to talk to my learners about their language acquisition journey at the beginning of the school year, because that puts them on the right um, mindset mm -hmm. that they are going to work towards something. And it's not something that is going to be right or wrong, mm -hmm. because in math class, it's right or wrong. In science class, it might be right or wrong. Mm -hmm. uh, in, in language class, it's going to be different. And we are all going to be at different parts of the journey. And we are going to cheer each other on through each one of those stages. Mm -hmm. So having those conversations is important. It takes the pressure of the learner. Mm -hmm. And that creates uh, the low affective filter that we mm -hmm. have learned about. Mm -hmm. Making sure that the learner is comfortable so that they, and they're not super stressed not a stress at all. So mm -hmm. they can receive that, uh, all of that input and all of that, the language that we are delivering on a particular day. So that would be one, one strategy, mm -hmm. making sure that the learner is super comfortable in the classroom and that they understand that this is a long journey. It mm -hmm. doesn't happen overnight. Mm -hmm. Many of our, many of our benchmarks are not even realistic. If we mm -hmm. think about the many years it takes for a person to master their first language, mm -hmm. And then how many years do we have with our learners? Right. Mm -hmm. And then take into account this last two years, how much time or time, many times it was cut in half. Mm -hmm. 
Right. So we have we have to be mindful of that and, and have those conversations. Mm-hmm. Another strategy that I really enjoy is to build my students' confidence. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think that is super important if we want to promote that risk taking so that they don't end up using an online translator. Mm-hmm. And one way to do that is through providing them with the support that they need. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the class, that may mean we are pretty much spoon feeding them the answers uh, mm-hmm. because we want to make sure that they are participating. Mm-hmm. Many times I get this question, why do my learners not participate? Well, we have to ask ourselves as educators, are we giving our learners any opportunities to opt out of our work? Mm-hmm. Okay. Be- it's, it's important to make sure that no child has the opportunity to opt out mm-hmm. at any point. So one of the ways that I do that, when I am asking them questions or I'm introducing new vocabulary through questions, I re- that's one of my favorite ways to, to target new vocabulary, mm-hmm. personalized questions and answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and personalization is another, another great strategy. Mm-hmm. I, when I do this, I like to make sure that I give them what what am I expect the sentence stem mm-hmm. of how they can answer that question, mm-hmm. and that way I can have the students confidently raise their hand and tell me uh, the answers I'm looking for, mm-hmm. and then eventually we'll take that away. Mm-hmm. So providing the learners with many scaffolds, sentence starters. Maybe you if you have your students do you want them to do some descriptive writing. Maybe create a handout for them with some phrases that they can use. Uh, to enrich their writing, mm-hmm. uh, then and you give them that so that they can have it for mm-hmm. reference when they're writing. Mm-hmm. Because let's think about this: as educators, uh, you and I have been to many conferences, and I'm sure <laughs> our educators who are listening to us, right? Uh, if they're listening to this, they love to learn too. Mm-hmm. So when we go to these conferences, it's amazing to hear the speakers, and when they present a, a cool activity or something. Although we have an idea of how to use it in the classroom, we always, I don't know about you, but I'm always like, can I get the template? Can I get the template? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because, not because I can't make my own, but because it's going to save me time mm-hmm. and it's going to give me that jump start. Mm-hmm. So sentence starters, sentence stems, mm-hmm. scaffolds are that jump start mm-hmm. for the learner. Mm-hmm. So that that I think that is powerful. And when you empower the student, to to get started, then they're less than, less likely to to go and gravitate towards an online translator. Why would they do that if they know they can do it? The whole idea of the the scaffolding is getting them started because I think so many times it's that they don't know how to start, so they jump to the end <laughs> and the final product because they don't have the ex- they don't understand the expectations. So the expectation is not that it's perfect. Right. And if that if that's what you've communicated, then time to back up and make sure they truly understand the expectations. But, yeah, that idea of the the scaffolding gives them the jump start. I like that terminology that you used for that. So I am absolutely positive that there are people listening to this discussion right now who have their pen ready and their paper ready and they are ready for your answers to this next question. Okay. I, I, I'm going to try my best to create a situation with this risk taking and all that. But right now, my students are using translators. So what do I do? The first thing you want to do is 
if you are not already providing those scaffolds, go find the scaffolds. Mm -hmm. There are plenty of them. On, do a Google search, scaffolds for word language, support instructors for word language. There are a lot of them out there. Uh, so if you're not actively using those, provide those for your learners mm -hmm. and model the usage of those mm -hmm. daily for your learners. Mm -hmm. when, I, I, when I am delivering input, when I'm talking in the target language in the classroom and I use uh, a good... Uh, a good transition word or something like that. I, I tell my students, Ooh, we are on level three now. <laughs> and you know, this is no longer level one. Uh -huh. And my students, a lot, they like that. They want those, those, those little pieces of information. And then later on, it just blows my mind when they actually use it right. in, in writing. Mm -hmm. So that would be the one thing. And I know I already mentioned it, but is look, have an audit of the scaffolds that you are and the support you're providing day in and day out for your learners. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because if and then show them the importance of using that mm -hmm. in in their in their assignments. Mm -hmm. That would be one thing they can do. Then the other thing, because I know that many of our listeners may be thinking, well, I have half of my class who's using translators mm -hmm. because that was my that was my case three in my first three years of teaching. Mm -hmm. uh, so if you have start providing scaffolds, start giving them more experiences with. Uh, grad the gradual release model, mm -hmm. which you start and everybody as a class does the work. You, you you do it as a teacher, then everybody as a class, and you do it in smaller groups, and then the learner takes ownership and they ultimately on their own show you what they were able to acquire through that learning cycle. Mm -hmm. So that's another powerful way to 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 ensure that they are going to not use translators mm -hmm. and also. I would say that it is super key to be able to give the students the opportunity to express themselves without feeling that they're going, as we mentioned earlier, that there is that their entire paper is going to be marked in red mm -hmm. because that is also intimidating right. for the learner. Mm -hmm. So examining our practice and auditing what we're already doing in the classroom is a great place to start mm -hmm. as opposed to just making those changes first is so important. Mm -hmm. Could I ask you to just, I want to make sure that uh, everyone that's listening and myself, that I understand this concept of gradual release that you mentioned as sort of mm -hmm. one of these, with these strategies. Could you give us an example? Like, are you talking about using a particular structure or vocabulary? Like what would that look like as a group using it and then moving to the independent output of it? Yes. So if I am doing a lesson with my learners and let's say that I am starting, we're doing some uh, questions about specific, like food. Let's talk about food. That's everybody mm -hmm. does that. In <laughs> uh, level one, level two, level three, you can always adapt that unit. Mm -hmm. uh, so we're talking about food and we have some new vocabulary. Maybe this is a level two and we don't want to say comida. We want to say alimentos. Mm -hmm. um, I teach Spanish. So my example is going to be in Spanish. Yeah. All good. And and we want to target some other words and phrases. So we're going to do the, when I'm going to start my class, I'm going to ask them, the whole class, I'm going to ask the questions and then I'm going to get answers from my learners. So I'm going to ask them something like, do you, uh, where do you like to buy your, your food, your alimentos? Mm -hmm. uh, and do you buy them in, and then I'm going to say the name of the store. Do you buy the, uh, the and I'm going to target that word and I'm going to mm -hmm. say, do you buy the food in the store? 
What about you? Do you buy? The, and I use a lot of proper names too because that's just very easy to to work with. And I have them produ produce on the spot, but with a lot of support. Yes, mm -hmm. I buy them at Walmart. Mm -hmm. Yes, I buy the food at Walmart. Mm -hmm. So we have a lot of practice with that. Once I do that and everybody is comfortable with those uh, targets, with those words, with those terms, mm -hmm. new terms, then maybe I can turn it into an activity where they are asking the whole class questions or maybe mm -hmm. the same questions or maybe different questions that have the same words. Mm -hmm. And then now it becomes a group, a small group or a couple mm -hmm. of peers type of question. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I can have them do a writing activity with a partner based mm -hmm. using those uh, answers and mm -hmm. with a lot of support and scaffolds. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. at the end, I can have them give me uh, a quick, I don't know, quick flip read where they tell me where, based on what we did the whole class, mm -hmm. where it is that same questions, but this time they are doing it on their own. Okay. So from a lot of support and a lot of structure mm -hmm. to a lot of structure all the way, but less support from the teacher and from the peers. Okay. Excellent. Thank you. I think that's going to really help to understand what that whole concept is. And I'm sure teachers are going to look into it more. And how can I do that? Is Because the like terminology comes out in these interviews sometimes and it's like, ooh, that's that's something I can definitely latch on to. Is there anything else in terms of uh, the strategies for following up when students use translators? Yes, yes absolutely. There is more. So Okay, go for I, it. I, <laughs> after the audits, after looking into what we do as educators, now we're ready to actually put it on the student. Mm -hmm. Okay, so yes, we want to support them all the way, every way possible. You want that learner to feel that if you confront them about using the online translator, or I don't want to use the word confront, if you talk to them mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. their decision mm -hmm. to use an online translator after mm -hmm. they have actually done that, mm -hmm. when you do that, you that student is going to feel so terrible because they're going to, they're, they know their teacher have supported them all the way they mm -hmm. are not going to have another option but to take the blame even if you take it to a parent conference mm -hmm. so the way you do this is very simple when you see again after you do your audit you're gonna you're gonna notice less people are using online translators if you mm -hmm. support your students all the time mm -hmm. and then we are going to establish that culture of error in the classroom like it's okay to make mistakes mm -hmm. we we need to try we need to try on our own because that's how we're going to grow. And, and mistakes are part of the language acquisition process. Mm -hmm. And so when students decide to do this, we do have to acknowledge. We do have to acknowledge that it has been done. We can't just pretend like it's not happening. Right. Mm -hmm. So we have to acknowledge and we have to have a conversation. So what I normally do when this happens is I would say, I noticed that you use an online translator in your written response in the Go Formative. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't have to do that because I, I, I know what you're capable of. So I know this is not your work, but I know you could have done the activity on your own, but you chose not to. What's 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 up? You know? Mm -hmm. And then I'll have that conversation with the learner, but it is so important to have that conversation. So that's mm -hmm. the first thing I do if a student does decide to use an online translator, have a conversation. If it's a major grade, I do call home and I mm -hmm. talk to that parent. Mm -hmm. That's super important as well, because that lets a student know that they are they're not going to do this again. Mm -hmm. And also to 
to the parent, you come across, you're giving, I'm not going to give the child a zero when I call and I said, hey, I just want to bring to your attention that your mm -hmm. child used, uh, decided to use an online translator. And that's, and I also explained why, obviously, why it's not the proper way mm -hmm. to do the work for the class. Mm -hmm. And then I said, but I'm not going to give him or her a zero. I'm not going to give him or her a zero. I'm going to allow him, I'm going to allow them to come to this class after school at a day of your choice. And I will give him another chance to complete this in the class. And that usually, that child will never do that again. Mm -hmm. And I have also created a good relationship at that household because mm -hmm. I decided not to give them a zero. I'm calling the parent to let them know and I'm mm -hmm. giving them another chance. So that's, mm -hmm. that's the plus. Mm -hmm. and, and it really, honestly, once, once that happens, it doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. And then if it happens a second time, then yes, then there has to be consequences. Mm -hmm. We have to have consequences. Right. And then the second time it will happen, they'll, they'll get a zero. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, we take it from there. When it comes to your discussions with students about, using translators. First off, I'm curious, do you hand out some sort of syllabus or class expectations at the beginning of your courses? Uh, I do ha hand out a syllabus and class expectations. I don't have it listed on my class expectations because we, we model that a lot. Mm -hmm. uh, we actually, I do allow my students to use translators uh, because I do believe that there is a place for translators in the classroom, but it has okay. to be done the right way. Talk us through what the right way is. I'm sure everyone's wondering. Let's let's hear more about that. Well, the right way is not necessarily my way, but this is the right way for my students and my classroom. More than anything, we all love to hear from teachers who have tried something and found success with it. So what has worked for you? Well, I, I will give you a very clear example of something I did today, actually. So my learners, normally, I give them text to read. In my mm -hmm. Spanish 3 class, I give them text to read. And usually, I go over the text and I may pick out in that text all the words that I know are going to be difficult for them. Mm -hmm. Because I don't want them to feel stuck. And I don't want them mm -hmm. to use a translator. So mm -hmm. I give them all the words that I know. Some of them, even if it's just a handful of them, are not going to know. And I put them on a slide. So mm -hmm. I give my learners the, the, the sheet, the text in the sheet. And I pass out the document and I said, okay, everybody's going to read this text. Look in the board when you get stuck. More than likely, you're going to see the mm -hmm. meaning of a word in there. Mm -hmm. And then you can carry on with your reading on your own. Mm -hmm. So that has worked beautifully. But the activity I did today what required translators. So what I had them mm -hmm. do instead, of th that is for independent reading. Today, I wanted them to work in groups, to do reading in groups. So mm -hmm. I gave them a text that was comprehensible for the most part but because of the last two years again mm -hmm. my students are all over the place with their proficiency mm -hmm. so with that being said I put them in groups of threes and I said mm -hmm. one person is going to be the reader one person is going to read out loud the second person is going to be the researcher and that person mm -hmm. is going to investigate the words in an online translator and provide mm -hmm. meaning so that your group can continue to read and make sure that everybody understands the message. And then the third person is gonna be the recorder and the recorder basically had to answer the questions about the reading. Okay. So they used a translator today, instead of me providing them the words ahead of time on the slide, mm -hmm. so I had one person and only one person who was in charge of looking up words 
And that teaches them responsible use of translator. Mm-hmm. And not only that, use it the right way, because sometimes they, they, they will raise their hand and they said, okay, it says this, but it doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And that's like a learning moment right there. Mm-hmm. Translators yeah. are not always going to make sense. So let's mm-hmm. look. And then, and then I always recommend, I, also, I even give them recommendations for places, best translators that I, I said, I really like Lingui. That's one of my favorite ones because it gives mm-hmm. all this context. And so I do believe that translators have a place in the classroom. Not every day, of course. Right, uh, right. But mm-hmm. sometimes, and it is important that we teach our learners how to use a dictionary and a translator. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I'm going to be honest with you, Joshua. When I was in Spain a couple years ago, I had to look up several words. Mm-hmm. I am from Mexico and I grew up in the United States. And I mean, obviously I can speak Spanish, but there were some words. <laughs> that were from that region that I did not understand. And I was mm-hmm. so happy to have my phone in my hand and to be able right. to look up words. So if I, as an adult and as a teacher and a person who is has advanced high proficiency, mm-hmm. need to use a translator at times. Mm-hmm. And not just for that. I have done professional projects where I had to look up words and do my own research. Mm-hmm. So yes, our students, if we are going to be uh, preparing them for with with the skills that they need uh, mm-hmm. to to be productive members of the of, of the workforce in the future, mm-hmm. especially if they're going to be using languages, they have to be able to know how to use these translators the right way. Mm-hmm. Do you ever sort of give them the advice or the expectation that if you put more than three words in? it no longer becomes your language. What's What does that conversation sound like? Yes, I do tell them that sometimes if they need it, if they're in the, in the class, I, I, I tell them they can always ask me for the words. I'd rather mm-hmm. have them ask me for the words than to go pull out their phone. So so mm-hmm. again, it's only, they know that they cannot use a translator unless I said, it's okay, you can use it for this task. Otherwise, mm-hmm. it's a no-no. But if they have to do something at home, and they have to look up a word. I tell them, yes, one word, two words. If you're searching up complete phrases, full phrases and sentences, yeah, that's definitely not your word. And I'm going to find out. And I'm going mm-hmm. to let you know. Mm-hmm. And the students know because my, my, my learners told me. They're like, well, when I was in this grade, this teacher did not know. And when I was in middle school, this teacher did not know. But mm-hmm. how do you know? And I said, we all know. We all know. <laughs> it's pretty obvious. Right, right. And, and sometimes I will go as far as to tell them, test me. So test <laughs> I got you. Don't worry about it. <laughs> All right. So I would love to hear where you continue to get your inspiration from. Where, what sort of books or people or conferences are, are you going to that you would recommend for that ongoing inspiration? Well, I am a conference uh, geek. <laughs> <laughs> I'm there too. <laughs> I, I, I just can't have enough of, of learning. And actually, it's just so refreshing. Especially That's something that keeps me going. It's just so mm-hmm. refreshing. Uh, it's like fuel to try new things in the classroom with the learners. Um, it builds my, my tool belt of strategies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And some of the conferences that I really, well, one that really changed my life was IFLT that just mm-hmm. happened this July and it happens every July. 
-hmm. And I've been going to that conference since 2017. Mm -hmm. So uh, I totally recommend that it's worth the investment, especially if you want to teach uh, with acquisition-driven instruction. And I also like to go to my regional conferences because the regional Mm -hmm. ones gather people from different states. Mm -hmm. And I love to see what other people, teachers in other states are doing. So this is the point in our discussion where I like to pull back the teacher curtain a little bit and get to know Berta, the the amiga, more than the profesora, okay? So more kind of the, the person behind the teacher a little bit, although we all identify so much as teachers. I hate to strip off that identity, but anyway. So this is our <laughs> this or that uh, little game here. So I'm going to give you two choices, choose one or the other maybe say why so we can learn a little more about you. Perhaps the next time you're at a conference, somebody will walk up to you and they'll connect with you because of how you answered one of these questions. That is true. So here's the first one. What is going to catch your attention more? A clever tweet on Twitter or a really interesting photo on Instagram? Ooh, that's a tough one. That's a really good one. I'm going to go with the photo. I'm more of a visual person. So the photo, most definitely. Okay, the photo. All right. Uh, Now this next one, uh, you have to have maybe a to-do list, some notes that you need to remember. Are you putting it on a post-it note or on an app on your phone? Are those my two choices? (laughs) (laughs) Yep. <laughs> <laughs> post-it note post-it note okay so if if it's not one of those two choices where do you normally keep your notes i have a, a planner it's called the full focus planner uh-huh. and actually the reason why i got that planner is because i used to have post-it notes all over the place and not just uh-huh. post-it notes little scraps of paper all over the place uh-huh, uh-huh. and with this planner i can just keep everything in there it has a room for journaling i can write my three most important tasks of the day and i can write it's, it's got a day an hourly schedule so everything i need to write take notes or whatever uh-huh. i record it there now Okay, I will be um, getting one of those as soon as possible. (laughs) I am very excited about that idea right now. Okay, and the last question here. I know where you live, so the climate is what it is, but do you prefer warmer weather or cooler weather? Oh, my God. That's an easy one, warm weather. (laughs) That's probably why I have been here for so long in beautiful Savannah, Georgia, because we have the best weather ever. So I am absolutely positive that there are uh, teachers out there listening to us that would really enjoy connecting with you further. So where is the best way that they can or the best ways that they can reach out to you? Well, they they can find me in uh, Facebook Insta- and Instagram as Profesora Delgadillo. And in Twitter, I am Profe Delgadillo because Twitter would not allow me to type out Profesora all the way. They have certain limitations on, <laughs> on, the, on the number mm-hmm. of letters. And what's your website? ProfesoraDelgadillo.com. As we are finishing up here, I would really appreciate any parting words of advice that you could give to teachers just to, based on your experience those things that we we can be doing in our classrooms yes uh well i would since we were talking about on on, online translators my uh, biggest advice would be just like with everything else be consistent 
in every way possible. For example, be consistent with providing support to your learners every day mm -hmm. and be consistent when following through with consequences when there need to be consequences as well when it comes to using online translators. So mm -hmm. consistency, I know it sounds very old school and I know it sounds so common. Consistency is key, but it really is key. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. The, the consistency is important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We need to hear that consistently, I think. Yes. <laughs> it's true. Well, I have very much appreciated this conversation. It's been so insightful, and I've had a lot of fun talking about translators with you. So uh, thank you very much for your time and everything that you brought to our discussion today. Thank you so much. I am honored to have been able to be part of this conversation. What are your takeaways from that conversation? It seems to be a balance between teacher expectations, scaffolding, and ultimately student confidence and responsibility. So be sure to check out the show notes so that you can connect with Berta Delgadillo. You'll also see a link to sign up for Talking Points, my weekly email newsletter with tips and resources for language teaching. I will talk to you real soon. Bye for now. You've been listening to the World Language Classroom Podcast. Be sure to follow or subscribe wherever you're listening so you don't miss a single episode. Let's continue the conversation on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at WL Classroom. You can also see over 250 blog posts about language teaching at, you guessed it, wlclassroom.com. <laughs>